Here we are with Fellowship, Pitch Black, a Star Wars story, the introduction episode. We are in May 2021. I am Devin, playing the Overlord playbook, and we have with us today... Um, I'm Stephanie, playing K1, KM411, an android, using the Air playbook. Uh, Nicole, playing General Dreadnought, Arc Clone Trooper, the Tinker playbook. Peter as Shining Peak, the Nelvian Force Mystic, the Ogre playbook. Ian, playing Sicarius, a Harch, the Spider playbook. I'm Holden, playing Zevendre, a human Jedi Knight, using the Lantern playbook. Alrighty. So, this introduction is going to go over the game Pitch Black. We're going to talk about kind of all the moving pieces before we move into Season 1. Uh, this game right now is planned out as of this recording for two seasons, and is the prequel to the other Fellowship Star Wars game we did, Star Wars Spiders and Snakes, which will probably be posted either alongside these episodes or after this one. So who uh, good luck. <laughs> However, we set this up in the future. Cause we don't have that ironed out yet. So star Wars, um, there's not a lot to say about it because everyone knows about star Wars. And if you found this podcast, you definitely know about star Wars. It's a franchise with a bunch of movies and TV shows and comics that is canon and not can at the same time. What we like about Star Wars that we kind of focus on is um, weird science fiction, weird fantasy, stuff like uh, Mobius and the Meta Barons or Flash Gordon, the the kind of lighter, goofier aspects of Star Wars where it's like a space fantasy. That's it. Um, I guess we count the movie's canon to a point in this game. Like we start to deviate pretty far far once it actually starts but if you want to know kind of what we use as baseline canon it's the prequel movies the star wars clone wars cwtv series and like the original trilogy ish they're going to change though pretty quick once uh these games start getting seasons out um anything else anyone else want to comment on anything about star wars the biggest franchise that exists I really like the clones. <laughs> yeah, they're It's a war of stars. Right? <laughs> clones that are pretty cool. Like they're one of the more interesting aspects of the Clone Wars TV series when you really ask questions about it, which we'll talk about later. So, this game takes place in a game system called Fellowship. Fellowship is um a powered by the apocalypse game meant to emulate the sort of Lord of the Rings style fantasy adventure not in the sense that it's like elves and hobbits and dwarves fantasy story in the sense of a group of friends gather up and they go on an adventure solving problems for people along the way making friends testing their relationships and that helps them defeat uh overarching evil like an overlord which is you know one of the threats that you can set the game around or an empire like straight from star wars um there's a third option called the horizon for like episodic play. That's more about seeking your own goals. Fellowship is a really interesting system. We enjoy it. We've run a lot of systems for it so far. Um, probably one of the smartest games that we've encountered and has definitely improved how we kind of structure and run games. 
a lot of imaginative playbooks too and character options uh we'll talk more about that when we get to the characters too because there are playbooks from fellowship that we use to emulate pretty much any character from star wars we were looking at doing they it had a lot of sync and that's because things like star wars she-ra Voltron, Avatar The Last Airbender, uh, Legend of Korra, those kinds of stories are really enhanced by playing them in Fellowship. All right. Um, anyone else want to comment on Fellowship? Uh, this is my first time uh, playing in a game using Fellowship, and I've been very, very impressed by both the flexibility of the system and how well it does most of what it sets out to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and also how well the... Well, not how well, but... It's the first time I've ever seen a combat system that's set up around the players interacting and working together as a group rather than just having their own little play loops that just happen to bump into one another. And I feel like that really works well, not just in general, and not just for what Fellowship's trying to do, but for something like Star Wars, where the stories are so character-driven and so group-dynamic-driven. Yeah, um, yeah, Fellowship's my, my favorite system we've played. It works really well for the types of games we play, no matter what kind of game it is. We play a lot of different genres, but it works well because... All of our games are really, really character-driven as opposed to, like, there's a big plot happening around us. Yeah, at this point, we've run Fellowship for a post-apocalyptic Transformers game, a high, like, space adventures Transformers game, a nautical fantasy game, and now two Star Wars games set in two different time periods with two different, like, tones. Like, this game, which we're getting to in the game pitch, is a horror game, and the sequel game's more like a kind of high action game but fellowship's doing both of them and it's able to jump between them fairly seamlessly which is always <laughs> impressive yeah you know to this day out of all these fellowship games we've run i've never had to change a rule like at most we've had to uh, we find out about clarifications to rules we didn't like think about or didn't like interpret that way and we go oh that's actually better we're going to do it that way then but we don't we, you really don't have to do any modification to fellowship to make it run the game you want to run if you're doing the the kind of genre loop it looks for or the kind of uh, narrative loop it looks for it's really genre flexible now i think anything that we did mod was some part of the game that basically had a big flashing light on it saying uh fill out the last 20 percent of this yourself you know yeah, you know, uh, tuned to taste. So uh, let's move into the game pitch. So pitch black. Um, the premise of the game is that the Confederate of Independent Systems sold an entire sector of space uh, belonging to neutral worlds inside their borders. Like, they sold it off. They, they gave it away in exchange for some form of reimbursement. And this sector of space is called the Strait of Messina. It's a series of stars and planets surrounding those stars um, centered around two twin black holes that are in an area of space that's 
pretty much near impassable. Like it, it has a border wall around it or a dome around it. And it's very much like the storm from uh, Solo, a Star Wars story, that, that kind of uh, Kessel spice mine uh, space turbulence they have to go through. The Strait of Messina is surrounded by that. So traveling out is hard. Um, the CIS sold it to people and basically locked it down. And the people they sold it to is the Necromonger Horde led by their Lord Marshal, who's a 13-foot-tall death metal skeleton that supposedly came out of the black holes and is running a death cult inside the strait. Um, that's all anyone really knows. It's a death cult. They're talking about leading a crusade against all life. And the Jedi Council sent Jedi to investigate it um, at the start of the Clone Wars, and we're nearing the end of the Clone Wars canonically, and we've stretched the Clone Wars out to not be like, I, I think the Clone Wars is like four or five years in Star Wars canon. Yeah, it's like so ridiculously short that... It's cartoonish. Yeah. <laughs> but it has to make sense for Luke and Vader to be the ages they have to be for the movies, so it all falls yeah. apart. But um, our Clone Wars is like maybe 10, 20 years instead of four or five. Like we stretched that out a bit nebulously. So at the start of the Clone Wars, two Jedi went missing. They were at the end of the Clone Wars. And finally, somebody is thought to go have someone check up on these guys. And that is where um, the characters come into play. Because they're either from inside the Strait of Messina trying to deal with a death cult taking everything over uh, and like causing problems. Or people from the outside that are going in to check in on what's going on because an entire sector of space basically went dark during the Clone Wars and there's not enough resources or time to really give that a fair checkout. It's behind enemy lines in the Outer Rims. Um, that's the kind of plot pitch. The tonal pitch of this game is it's very much in the vein of Event Horizon, Silent Hill, Dead Space, Twin Peaks the evil dead. Um, I tried not to go super dark and I think I succeeded, but it, it starts at a pretty bad place for horror. Um, the sector, how I'm portraying it is basically a haunted place. Like people encounter supernatural entities at an increasing frequency because the Lord Marshall is up to something. Um, there's like, things like the killers from Twin Peaks, like Killer Bob and Killer Mike out there hunting people and causing mischief. People are seeing voices, hearing ghosts, being convinced that, you know, relatives are telling them to do stuff. It's, it's become a weird place. Uh, and yeah, that's the, the kind of tonal place we went to, um, you know, cosmic horror sci-fi. Oh, the playbook's the Overlord. The Overlord's the Lord Marshal of the Necromonger Horde. He's a big, giant, necromantic skeleton force monster thing. It comes up in play. <laughs> uh, this game is going to run through the Overlord. We imagine it'll go for two seasons. Um, so this is the introduction to season one. We're about to start recording season two pretty much the week after we recorded this intro. Uh, that's the plan. And season two for this game should lead into season one for spiders and snakes. And that'll lead into a season two of its own, which we're also recording the season two of next week. So listeners that care about timelines, there's your timeline data. Good luck. Um, yeah, I can't think of anything else to bring up for the pitch. Um, anyone else want anything to contribute about things that matter for the game for listeners to maybe know about going into episode one?
Well, um, the biggest thing of importance to my character, because I'm a clone, is that everyone is acknowledging beforehand that Order 66 is looming in the background. Oh, oh, yeah, we... Like, that's coming. Yeah, yeah, Order 66 is, is happening, like, that's gonna happen, like, there's there's not gonna be a moment where it doesn't happen, and as far as we've all sort of acknowledged, Order 66 is gonna happen, like... There's going to be an end of the season where presumably the heroes win and there's going to be like a party or everyone's holding hands. And in the background, you'll see that, that Nicole's character gets like a message from like the Republic. <laughs> now that some ships have broken through the Strait of Messina have established like a comm signal again. And that's when order 66 is going to start when the ships start coming into orbit, dropping st- stormtroopers to kill all the Jedi. Yeah. <laughs> like it's so all close. the shit we decided to mess with. That was the one piece of cannon that must be immutable. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> uh, I guess that I guess that's worth mentioning is we are playing uh, fast and loose with a lot of the canon. <laughs> this, uh, like if you have like the Star Wars tech manual, like the Star Wars planet guide, you may find Hoth, for example, not exactly in the same system where maybe George Lucas put it. <laughs> and maybe not Arch homeworld by the is same in range the of creatures. Yeah, there's a few yeah. Isn't Kashyyyk in here or something? No, but um, the Lasat homeworld is in here. Yeah, the Lasat homeworld, the Hoth homeworld, the Hoth, and uh, the 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 Spider People homeworld is in this. No, Spider People homeworld's not here. Just an asteroid full of them, I think. Yeah, it's oh. yeah, it's just a, oh, okay. it's a crime steroid. No, <laughs> because because that's but the best thing in the world. Corbon and strict on the uh, hard horror aspect of this game. <laughs> because yeah, like, I, I things like the Dead. crime steroid. <laughs> I did or say Commercia Prime presents. Yeah, so Order 66 is coming, and we do play fast and loose with uh, other parts of the canon that you'll soon come to understand, <laughs> listener. You uh, you like those EU novels? Oh man, we're very specific about some things, like bigger <laughs> looks. Like what? Oh no, no, no. like bigger looks. <laughs> so there's bigger this theory Luke. that there was, you know, <laughs> I just go. Google bigger Luke, like looks that are larger, larger looks. Like just just Google that. And that'll tell you all you know about the bigger Luke theory, and that we kind of use it in our game as a joke. Like the idea that there are larger, but 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 only like by a couple inches larger people in the galaxy <laughs> from each race. We uh, we might use that in different areas. Like for instance, okay, we introduce Ewoks. But Ewoks in our game live on Hoth. That was their original homeworld. It used to be a peaceful, verdant garden world where Ewoks were like forest colored. And now that it's a Hoth world, they're, they're albino. They're like white fur. They're like cute little white teddy bears. And the ones on Endor are settlers from Hoth. And that's why they look the way they do. And in our game, Wookiees are just the Neanderthal version of Ewoks. They're the bigger Ewok. Which means Wampas, which are the snow version of Ewa, of Wookiees, live on Hoth as well. That's their home world. Kashyyyk is a settler planet that the Wookiees settled on, and I'm sure Ewoks live there. That's what we mean by fast and loose with the canon. If you can't... 
Like if you can't handle that that previous statement, that, that run on sentence, you might not be able to do it here. <laughs> Especially when you get to spiders and snakes and I explain what steelhead is in the intro. That's going to piss you off. <laughs> oh boy. You're going to real mad at me. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you know, if it depends on how much you respect Star Wars. And I know there's a lot of Star Wars respecters out there. They're extremely vocal about it. Um, this might not be... Oh my god, is this a content warning for Star Wars fans? Are they that fragile? Yes. <laughs> Damn it. Anyway, yes. that's the game pitch. Anything else we want to add in? I don't hear a yes. All right, perfect. Well, that means you guys get to talk about your characters. So it's time for y'all to be on the spot. Oh my god, 15 minutes? I'm blowing through this. I didn't talk about Tron at all. <laughs> Ian, well, are I mean, you there? We could always divert into talking yeah, about I'm The here. Last Jedi, but... It was the best Star Wars movie yeah, ever, sure. Um, okay, Ian. <laughs> so, introduce um, your character, Sicarius, to us. In the format we so previously Sicarius, established. Sicarius is a harch. Um... The Harch being those like fuzzy spider people in For Star Wars. Eagle eared listeners, Admiral Trench's race. Yes, Admiral Trench's race is correct. In fact, Admiral Trench is a interesting integral part of our story. Are we how many spoilers are we dropping in this? <laughs> <laughs> no, just keep going about your character. Okay, that's fair. Okay, leave listeners on the on on the edge of their seat. There, they'll get Sounds there. One, one, sorry. Um, yeah, and then, so I am a. Okay, wait. Sorry, we got to pause. I'm getting yelled at here. One sec, and we're back. Yes. Uh so yes, I am a harch. I'm a spider person. I have four arms, two legs, spider mandibles, you know, um, fuzzy fur. I think I'm like a kind of silvery gray color, if I remember correctly. Yeah. I don't think I actually really wrote it down. Um, Yeah. So kind of looking more like the wintry harches. And I also chose a delightful thing on my character sheet, which comes up fairly often in our game is I chose the bug swarm companion. So my character has fur and his fur seems to kind of move even when it's not windy or anything. Yeah, that's true. Yes. Sorry. Spider warning. Um, yeah. His, his fur moves not because it's just fur, but because he's literally covered in millions of spiders. He's he's just all spiders all the time. His little companions, his swarm is just always all over him so he can just like shake spiders off of himself so they go do things and help him out. What was your playbook uh, again? It's the the spider. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. my character likes exactly. the spiders. Sometimes yeah, I feel they're, they're bad. quite useful when we talk about Ian's characters being like inhuman monsters 
and then we record episodes like this. Content warning, Ian's character. Uh, hey, hey. It's, I mean, if, if listeners have listened to our Wild Sea game, there is a character that is literally just a million spiders in a sack of metal. So, like, it, like in a, in a sack of armor. So I'm not much different from that. <laughs> At least I'm a one big spider with spiders on the outside instead of spiders on the inside. I think that's both better and worse, somehow. <laughs> exactly. Rabbits. Many spiders. Yeah, yeah. My character is just too many spiders. <laughs> um, but because the spider playbook is... Oh, go I'm ahead. Continue. You're talking about your playbook. Yeah, talk about your playbook. Yeah, yeah. I, I was just gonna say. Um, so yeah, because he's the spider playbook, I get some neat things. I don't take piercing damage, which is super powerful. I also can manipulate. I get an extra, like not stat, but I get an extra ability that has its own stat that kind of fluctuates based on the scene because the spider's all about hunkering down in one area and setting up traps and moves. So I can use my webs, which is a stat that I increase and decrease, and I can manipulate things, move stuff around, and do all sorts of cool stuff with that. Um, and then later on, I become the world weaver. And oh boy, does that start getting OP quickly. So yeah, lots spider, of fun there. Spider playbook is strong. It's being a xenomorph. Just bursting out events on yeah. people. Yeah. And then Devin nicely showed me an orc custom that allows you to kill an enemy <laughs> from ambush instantly. So that orc custom's insane. Oh boy. It it combos well with the whole like you're hidden now, and then you just kill things, and then you're hidden again, and then you just kill things and <laughs> Over and over again. You don't have to it's use good. violence in fellowship to solve problems, but the spider's really good at it. Yeah. There are, you can actually take, and I, I thought about this, but um, I think we've established my ability to be a human and talk human is poor. Um, but you can actually take some interesting spider customs for social combat sort of thing. Like, oh, yeah. I think there's one that allows you to be like, you can lie about certain things and people will believe it as truth. And you can even like lie about your own race when commanding lore, but it's considered truth and stuff. Like it's, there's some weird funky things going into social combat with the spider, which as listeners know is my strong suit. So of course I took none of the combat stuff and I took only social stuff. Um, <laughs> You come off different in person. Yeah. <laughs> that is is that a compliment? Yeah. No, it's or... a compliment. You come off different in person <laughs> than your characters. That's fair. That's fair. Thanks. Ian's <laughs> like the most responsible um, one of us in the group. He like does adult I stuff. Don't... I don't know about that, but um yeah, so it's the spider's a neat playbook. Um I've been having a lot of fun playing it. There were some things that, like, episode one, episode two, I think, we were still learning exactly how the spider playbook works. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there was... It got a little frustrating, and that was my bad, you know, like, 
some confusion, but yeah, we figured no, it out. Yeah, there was a bit of friction in those early episodes that just kind of bled through into the recording. And uh, yeah, yeah. Well, that, that was nowhere near as, as bad as it sounded like once we talked off camera. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. It was, we we were, I think we were tired and confused and just, just a little disgruntled. So, but yeah, once we figured out the character stuff, it was, it was much easier than we thought it was and much like more cohesive. As I think we said earlier in this intro, Fellowship seems to be like, we look at it and we're like, okay, it's this. And then we look at it again and we're like, oh, that makes more sense. It's definitely this. And it was like, we we were right on the line of understanding it. And then it kind of like clicks some of the more abstract abilities. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, What else about Sicarius? Uh, he's a smuggler and like, he's, he's not Han Solo, but he's not, not Han Solo sort of deal. <laughs> um, there's, there's always one. Well, like, why not? Right. <laughs> We're playing star Wars. You gotta, somebody's gotta do it. I'll bite that bullet. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and yeah i think i think that's sicarius in a nutshell is yeah that's pretty good um anything you live on that you live on a uh asteroid with like harsh crime syndicate people onto it that's like a haven for your people inside the strait of messina and your character also yes. knows steph's character for 11km Yes, because Steph's character is a we'll get to super... That. I mean, yeah, we'll get to that. And so he knows Steph's character because Steph's character often hires my character. Yeah. And so you two... That's how... That's how you got roped into the, we, into the story. Yeah, because we, we, my character and Steph's character goes way back. And so that's how I get roped into the story is through Steph's character. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. All right, so if that's it for Sicarius, then let's move down the list to Steph. Are you good to go next? Sure. Um, All right, Steph. My character... Nope, go for it. Nope, that was it. (laughs) Nope. Just overlap. (laughs) Steph's... Dot, dot, dot. (laughs) So my character is K11M... Uh, an android and I took the air and I didn't have a solid idea for the character so I just sort of threw threw some darts and pulled a personality together um, I took the air playbook because it seemed like fun and there's a lot of really really powerful combos especially the further on you go in the playbook and so the character itself k11m is treated as kind of a a superstar in the system she's she's well known for being extremely rich and um supporting android rights and throwing a lot of money around and just doing nice things for for people she comes across and so everybody really likes her and everybody in the system kind uh, basically knows her name mm-hmm. and apparently i have an orb, which I'm still not sure what it does, but it is a big glowing ball that's pretty cool, and and everyone who sees it goes, 
Oh, I see. For reference, it's the or it's it's an orb, like the orb held up at the end of Phantom Menace by Voss Nass and Amadella, the orb of peace. Those are real things in Star Wars lore, and Steph's character has one. <laughs> the orb. The we orb. treat it like the briefcase from Pulp Fiction. <laughs> um, it contains Boss Nass's inward pass. No. <laughs> I wasn't going to make that joke this time. Naboo. <laughs> Jesus. Too close. So, uh, did you talk about what kind of droid you are, Steph? Oh, oh right. Um, the, the droid itself, K11M, is she's a banker droid. Um, Can I just say which, one thing here, though? What's that? <laughs> Your character's name is 411KM. Yes. <laughs> okay. Not K1, K4, whatever. <laughs> yeah. But every, but I nicknamed it Kim because it's easier to remember. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, she's, she's a banking... She's... Oh, right! I'm just now remembering the whole concept <laughs> behind my character that I came up with backstory and everything. Right, so oh, um, the, the the concept behind this character was that it was a a old republic banking droid that got in that was in a shipwreck and in space and was left drifting for several hundred years. The crew was destroyed. the The ship was functionally dead, and she was just basically sat there having nothing to do except think for several hundred years. And that's how she gained a concept of personality and droid sentience for herself and why she became such a big proponent of droid, droid rights and why she went on a big activism crusade when she was able to come, come back from that. And also why she has so much money because she, she, uh, she took all the, the accounts that she managed from people long dead and it'd been sitting there for several hundred years and accrued a bunch of interest. And so that's how she wound up with so much money. And we know that those uh, banks would still be good hundreds and hundreds of years later because the banking clan exists. <laughs> exactly. It's canon. No matter yes. which freaking Star Wars canon you're looking at, the banking <laughs> clan is there. <laughs> Exactly. It is nothing more stable than the Republic. It's the banking clan. Um, yeah. And so I made her a very, very heavy social character, mostly because I figured that Peter and Securius and and uh, Nicole's character... Dreadnought. Dreadnought, thank you. And to a lesser extent, Holden's character were, were big, heavy-hitting, physical combat characters, so I tried to go in a different direction mm-hmm. to, you know, round out the party. Mm-hmm. So, so that was my idea behind that character. And uh, for the droid type, you're one of those, um, like your droid frame looks like for listeners, uh, in the Clone Wars, the Separatists have that one commander droid, like that looks like it has like a duck bill cap at all times. And the, the the logic is that that frame is used for like accountants and like casino bank tellers and stuff. And that's what for one KM's model is from that kind of, you know, it kind of looks the same from every generation with slight variances. Well, because they literally right. took accountant droids and shit and they're like, hey, you're good at numbers. 
be a Run general. This army. And they're like, oh. Yeah, exactly. Okay. You can yeah, French like droid, sticks. Go for like, it. Like the droid producer inside the Separatists were like, hey, instead of making specific general droids, we'll just repurpose these guys because we have millions of them. Mm-hmm. Look, we don't need middle management anymore. We just, we just outsourced it to our own product. And then when they need really good generals, they build stuff like General Kalani, like the super, the super uh, processor droids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I still imagine your character is a little bunny droid. A little because, bunny droid? Well, there are those bunny droids and also Clone Wars and so on. I, I do too. No matter, no matter what, I'm always picturing those stupid little bunny droids. <laughs> bunny droids. Because I've seen Clone Wars too many times. Where is everybody like? Bunny droid. What does the bunny droid look like? Now I want to see. Oh! Oh, those things. Those goofy-ass little bunny droids. Okay. Okay, yeah. Feel free to picture her either way. Alright. Uh, anything else? Oh, well, you know Ian's character. Because you've hired him a bunch. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I hang out in the crime steroid with like several hundred of the same make and model as me. Oh, right. In you a buy warehouse. Them in yes. Yeah, <laughs> and Pierre has a meeting Ian. Yes. <laughs> and we've also established that Nicole, uh, that uh, Steph's character has been buying like discontinued models of her specific line because they're siblings in bulk whenever they come on sale on lots. So that explains why all of the air like siblings and stuff are just copies of her. <laughs> yes, I have dozens of of the same model of me just lying around. Hmm. Okay. But that's about um, it. Then we'll move on to Nicole. Nicole. All right, Nicole, describe to us your character. My character is an ARC clone trooper. So, you know, watch any Star Wars, you know what my character looks like exactly. I'm one of thousands of clones. Um, I'm an ARC trooper, which means basically um, they're given more responsibility and can kind of do more independent missions than rank and file troopers, basically. Uh, and my playbook is the Tinker, which, uh, you know, I'm good at building stuff and everything. And my character has a little one-man mech, uh, basically looks like a Dreadnought. Yeah, from Warhammer. Yeah. A Dreadnought from Warhammer, uh, but, you know, Star wars it up. Yeah, so it looks like a little AT-AT walker or the ATST, the little two-leg walker with, like, Dreadnought arms, right? Yeah, basically. Um yeah, it's just like a little one-man walker, though it's not like one of those big guys. Yeah. Uh, which my character builds. I have a... I don't remember what the model is, but a I have a basic... battle droid? Uh, yeah, I ha- yeah. I have oh, a super uh, battle droid as a companion who's I'm always droids. fixing up. There we go. Uh, yeah. And yeah, that's my character. His name... Well, his codename, I guess, is General Dreadnought. And I like it because it sounds like General Dread. Well, yeah, Order 66 is coming, and you're going to probably be entombed in that mech. Yeah. <laughs> you're going to kill the party. It's going to be great. It's coming. <laughs> um, my character came to the Strait of Messina with Holden's character, Zevin Dre, uh, who's a Jedi. Uh, I wasn't originally under Zevin's command. I was actually, I think I was, seeing as I was on the battle 
uh, of Mandalore with Duchess Satine. Uh, I must have been under Skywalker. <laughs> so uh, I was one of his, but basically I got assigned to go with a bunch of other clones with this other Jedi to the Strait of Messina, check up on that missing Jedi and his apprentice. They um, call them Padawans on the good team. Padawan, right, right. <laughs> Red blades are called apprentices. Oops. Or <laughs> <laughs> shadow. Yeah, that's a school that'll help us for later in your next introduction. <laughs> um, we came here. Uh, I don't remember if we crashed or if we got in a fight, but all the other clones are dead. And now it's just me and Zevin, and I don't remember how we met up with the party. I think just generally adventure stuff oh, happened. Right, and- there's like a whole... Uh, undead cult and stuff yeah. in this place and they don't want that to be here and neither do we <laughs> yeah I'm pretty sure uh, I'm pretty sure that uh, 401km probably sought out the Jedi and <laughs> there was a Jedi here yeah we had like a whole kind of squadron we brought in with us but got mauled pretty badly coming in through the black holes and the gravity General warps. Skywalker loaned you an arc trooper squad yeah um, my character, I think, just is looks like a standard clone, though. Like, there's nothing special about it, except I don't think he has a heartbeat because he got his heart shot out. Yeah, you have a droid heart. Yeah, that's just that's just a thing. Uh, there's not really anything else to what say about do? my my uh, character. Uh. Yeah, all right. That's pretty good. The Tinker Playbook gives you access to your mech suit, and it has like, oh, a yeah. lot of fun powers tied to oh, it. Oh, yeah. Make it I really, uh... really like the Tinker Playbook. I'm definitely going to be playing it again at some point. It works really well for the clone troopers, too, as like command more about them, because the Tinker Playbook lets you either have a mech suit, or you can talk about your Tinker parts as cybernetics, which we have that in Star Wars. So it gives you a lot of flexibility with how you uh, do that. Yeah, and like my um, What is a Tinker? Uh, I chose the goblins option, which means that like your your people have never been like at the top. They're you know constantly having to make do with less and stuff like that. And it's like, yeah, that, clones. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> fits pretty well. Mm-hmm. All right, Peter, you're next up on the list. Okay, so I'm playing Shiny Peak. She's a Nelvanian Force Mystic, which means she was born Force sensitive, but didn't have any Jedi or Sith or any training like that. She's just a natural wild talent in that regard. Uh, she comes from Nelvan, you know, that fun planet you saw in the uh, Tatakovsky's Clone Wars. Yeah. You know, where the fun stuff happened? Like, you know, the Techno Union kidnapped a bunch of people and did some, you know, medical experiments on them, turning into them horrible zombies. Well, not zombies, but like mutants and so on. It was fun. So yeah, that happened to her tribe. You know, she had to pick up from there. She, you know, became a warrior there. And, you know, after the whole ghost island incident, she decided, you know what, it would be nice to go to the world and end this war so that nobody else can suffer like, you know, her tribe did. You know, might as well just wrap it up so she can, you know, retire in peace. And yeah. Uh, she's a Nelvanian, so she's a blue dog person. You know, she's got those square squiggly tattoos uh, they, they have. She dresses rather plainly and so on. Doesn't have any lightsabers or anything like that. You know, she's an ogre playbook, so she's more physical. She's about, like, you know, going in and punching stuff and taking the blows. 
Yeah, we flavor yeah. the the ogre's um, overwhelming strength and advantage and size as your power with the force, like you're a tempest. Yep. Um, plus, we, uh, uh, for the ogre playbook, I picked up that they're from the swamp, the swamp ogres, so they heal, so she's really hard to put down with everything she can dish out. And yeah, she's all, all about like protecting the little ones. So if somebody gets hurt around her, she gets hurt instead, and so on. So, so it's like a nice combo going there. And yeah, in general, ogres are a few things. One of them is Sunderace. Like you specify what you love, what you hate, and if you engage with the you know stuff you hate, then you get you know bonuses to that, and so on, and so on. Like, you know, I hate weaklings. So if you protect someone weaker than you, you know, uh, you can do that easier, and so on, and so on. Like, yeah, I hate fighting, and then you know, if you fight, you get bonuses. It's kind of amusing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, they're rather physical, so you can toss people around. You have your incredible stamps. You can lift things, and so on, and so on. And yeah, that's roughly my character. She's from here. She just you know. Join the party whenever, you know, doesn't have any specific connections to, you know, people in the party, really. She's local. Yeah, like you, you're from the Strait of Messina because your planet's inside of it. Yep. And the Ghost Hand legend also ties into a bunch of stuff in this game. It, it matters. Yeah, we... T- Take it, we give our own spin to it and expand on the lore and so on and so on. Like, you know, exactly. for example, for Nevania, I'm saying that, you know, they believe that they're protecting their galaxy from, you know, the evil that's inside of their planet. That's why they're leaving like higher peaks where it cannot reach them. And, you know, sometimes people get infected with the ghost hand and they get, you know, more power out of that. But of course, absolute power corrupts and so on and so on. At least that's how the legends say. We'll see how it goes for us. Mm-hmm. Um, so, is there anything else you want to bring up? No, I think we've covered everything. All right, perfect. And that just leaves then Holden. Yo. So, uh, I'm playing Zevin Dre, um, Jedi Knight. Uh, Zevin is in the context of the Clone Wars, uh, one of the uh, kind of old school Jedi um, who conceives the Order as a group of heroes um, independently uh, imposing peace and justice on the galaxy and is not at all comfortable with them being mobilized into a military force. But uh, the galaxy being on fire at the moment, that's where he is and that's what he's doing. Um, He was probably dispatched into the Strait of Messina to investigate this weird galactic backwater that went dark in the middle of a war because he's not been uh, the easiest Jedi to deal with as the Order has militarized itself and uh, reassign knights to be generals. And so was sent in with a small uh, platoon of clone troopers to uh, investigate 
these other two Jedi who had gone in years before and had not been heard from since. Uh, we got Maul, we got our ships trashed coming in through the gravity well. Lost most of our clone troopers uh, in the process, and damn near all the rest of them, except for Dread, uh, in a series of ambushes and initial skirmishes with the Lord Marshal's forces before finally hooking up with 411KM's Band of Rebels and Freedom Fighters. Mm hmm. And, uh, oh, sorry, I didn't know if you were done. Continue. No, go on. Oh, um, uh, it's interesting because the way that's set up, like that, you were you weren't really assimilating well to the the, the new like military aspect of the Jedi that you got sent into mm-hmm. this. This is like an investigation. You know, it's like, hey, this is a mystery. What happened to these two Jedi? Maybe you can go and suss it out. That's exactly how the Clone Wars TV series would frame it, because they frame each arc as its own movie. So if this was like a Clone Wars serial, like a movie, it'd be like, you're this old school Jedi we've never heard of before, but you're going to be the main character for the next like four or five episodes of Clone Wars here. And like you go meet with the Jedi, Skywalker's like, yeah, well, we'll send him. I'll give him some of my clone troopers since we're so low on resources and like we don't really have a lot of generals to spare. And, you know, your character hasn't been doing the general stuff because you've been trying to like avoid that aspect of it. And this is like a kind of you know, not a military campaign mission that they need done, but you're available, so why not send you and keep you happy? All right, so you're old school search and rescue. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah, hey, and, you uh, want to do something for the war? We do need to start war in here. <laughs> yeah. Like, hey, you don't want to do military stuff. Well, here's a mission they have that isn't military. Exactly. And then we and then get inside of the... Yeah, and then you get inside the well, and we find, oh boy. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, it's a horror movie. Exactly. Um So that's Zevin. He's fairly he's a fairly simple uh Jedi from Central Casting in who's ended up in a horror movie instead of a traditional Star Wars story. Yeah. So that's fun. Um I picked the Lantern playbook for him from the second fellowship book. Um, the Lantern is designed to be run in the specific setting of the Invels. It's there a whole order of uh, warrior monk of warrior monk priests with these little magic lanterns, and they're a wonderful example of how easily you can reskin the details of a Fellowship playbook to do something else. Um, so Zevin isn't actually carrying a physical lantern with a physical light in it, but uh, the Lantern Playbook's little light is supposed to... Um, it's kind of like a video game um, tutorial UI, like it lights up things of interest and tells you, oh, you want to go investigate that, that's useful. Oh, you want to go over here, the plot's in that direction. And it can transform into things like a burning sword of light that wreaths your hand, or a laser that blasts things away from you. So we've just um, discarded the lantern and we've reskinned it as the Force and the Jedi Knight's lightsaber. And that's been completely intuitive, and there's been basically no friction to that at all. 
uh, everything we wanted to we wanted to do is so like, well, a Jedi should be able to do this. Well, the Lantern Playbook does it, up to and including uh, having a built-in Jedi mind trick and uh, the ability to sway crowds uh, with public speaking. Mm-hmm. It's so, interesting. Though. Uh, Zevin's worked out as sort of this hybrid of like really powerful combat character and also a really powerful social manipulator as well. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the interesting part about the, I'm sorry. I lost the, I lost track of what I was saying. My bad. <laughs> oh, it, it was a previous point, bro. I just forgot it instantly. But yeah, I, it's impressive how little rescaling there has to be done. Like it, it just sort of flows intuitively. It, it was your mind trick power. That's the thing that really impressed me that I hadn't looked at the at the lantern previously. That was it. The mind trick loop. Like if you want to be the type of lantern that focuses on the social side, it's like a base power you can pick up, and then all the things that do the other kind of Jedi social mental stuff just kind of builds off of that core move you pick up. That's kind of really interesting. And like a lot of it just, it mm-hmm. just alters the base moves themselves. It's not even its own system. It's just these little touches that give your Jedi more options. Exactly. Like the base move revealed the way it's just when you tell someone what's best for them and you mean it and they listen, you roll with wisdom and you know, off you go. And then you can upgrade it with a further move that says, actually, you don't have to believe your suggestions the be- is the best thing that could happen to them. And you don't have to mean what you say. And uh, if you roll well, they won't even realize, you know, that you're messing with them. Mm-hmm. And it's like suddenly, hmm, okay, we're all the way back to Obi-Wan now. So, Yeah. And like, I like the, that the core move relies on sincerity. You have to believe this is the best course of action. Up until you're so good at this, you don't anymore. The base move also... Mm-hmm. Um, even if you do well, the player doesn't have to accept it. They don't have to accept being mind controlled. They can get hope if they listen to you or if they do the opposite of what you want just to spite you. That still gives them hope automatically if they're a player character. And that's hugely powerful and hugely flexible without making like, you know, being mind tricked a thing that people will grumble about because it's annoying. Yeah, and that's actually comes up. I'm not going to say with who, but it comes up with one of the other players later and it's kind of a great moment for defining their character or adding uh, nuance to their character early in the game. It's like, okay, in this sort of situation, that's how they're going to respond. And they get really either way they spin it, the game hands them the same carrot. Yeah. But the choice does feel meaningful. Exactly. Like it incentivizes other players seeking your character out for advice. If it's either to go along with it or to spite it, for that bonus like it's a it's a it's a huge incentive to do that and that just creates more role-playing scenes so it's a it's a neat little loop inside the playbook mm-hmm. and there's a lot of those not just in this playbook but in all sorts of different fellowship playbooks it's everywhere these really efficient systems that just get you to role play the scene the way you want to role play it anyway but with more mm-hmm. yeah uh anything else for your character I think that about I think that about covers it. Okay, well, that's the end of the character side of things. Um, so we'll come into the round table at the end, where now that we've kind of given you the premise of the game, the characters, who you should care about, and stuff. Um, 
anyone else want to kind of chime in on just comments about how the season went, what they liked about it, um, without getting, I guess, getting too spoilery? You know, just stuff you might think the fans might want to know. Well, I think we found some interesting uh, format for, like, you know, the Jedi's being, you know, not only just generals in the war, but also, you know, sages in that uh, whole universe and so on. Like, you know, people would seek them out for advice because, hey, they're also spiritual leaders, not just, you know, people with lightsabers. Yeah, I like that we got at least one of those scenes into season one. Oh, and I'll, I'll bring that up later too. But yeah, the, the idea that people will come up to Jedi and be like, well, you're infinitely wise and peacekeepers for a thousand generations. You solve our problem. Like, there's just expectations yeah. that I have that people will sometimes tap them to solve their issues. There were definitely some very good scenes of that. There's oh, yeah. One in particular was a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> I should point out that season one is more truncated than we wanted because. Um, Life just sort of happened when season one came up and a couple moves got involved and stuff. So it just kind of crushed that down. Season two, which we'll be getting into once you're done season one, we're hoping it's going to be a little more stretched out and give a lot more breathing room. Uh, the way I'd pitch season one to you listeners is season one's like the Battlestar Galactica miniseries where we set a bunch of stuff in motion and it's shorter. And then season two will be the series. But hopefully also it'll be good. Like, <laughs> yeah, hopefully without the series. I, I should have used Babylon Five. It's like Babylon Five, listener. The the season one's like the movie that sets up the premise of the show, and then season two is like the rest of the show. There it is. That's the good example. I shouldn't have used Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> um, practice. Uh. Uh, any other things? Uh, you guys get a ship. It's called the Necrobor. It's kind of like your personal ride. Uh, and it's it's just it's just full of spiders. Yeah, all this. <laughs> yeah, we stole a a haunted necromonger ship, and the spiders were definitely already there. Yeah, oh, they're definitely. not our fault. <laughs> who would oh. who would bring billions and billions of spiders on a ship? That's <sighs> that seems silly. And I totally and haven't been feeding department. them, and you know giving them little treats and stuff. No, not at all. But he, she was already pouring a brimming glass of spiders. It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, so like, who do, you yeah. have, who do you have actually doing maintenance on the ship? The spiders, as this character sticks their head in the Jeffrey's tube. The what? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so good. Oh, I, yeah, like, but, I, then, I do love that half our crew is spiders. That, <laughs> that wonderful like moment from the season one of Star Trek where you know they open the grain bin, it's just all the tribbles come out. Oh my god. <laughs> just put spiders. But spiders. God almighty. Uh, excellent. Uh, I should point That's out our that sweet home. When we talk about the Necromonger horde, we are talking exactly like the Necromongers from the Chronicles of Riddick. I like mean, they we, look we awesome. called the show Pitch Black. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like it's intentional, <laughs> listeners. Like, imagine Necromongers from that one movie you saw that one time that isn't as good on rewatch as you remember. Don't rewatch it. It's not <laughs> worth it. <laughs> Doesn't hold up like Pitch you think Black it does. stands up, though. Yeah, it does. Pitch Black holds up, and it has cast from Farscape in it, which is just hilarious. <laughs> um. 
Yeah, that is something to point out, though, that it's 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 very much a Riddick reference because it's that kind of fantasy. Like Chronicles of Riddick is like Flash Gordon and like Mobius style sci-fi. It's ridiculous. It's like Jupiter Ascending or uh, the Fifth Element, like those kinds of weird world building stories. Yeah, I do. As you say, like he, this is this is a horror game. But it's it's done lighter. Like there are definitely some spooky moments, for lack of better words. Oh. But yeah, it's it's done lighter with like more fun added in, as you say, like the Fifth Element, Flash Gordon. It's a campy of, kind of horror. We're leaning yeah. more army of darkness and less <laughs> Evil Dead. Yeah, yeah. like Sam yeah. Raimi. It, it's a Sam Raimi style horror, and he does horror, but he also puts levity in and. You're supposed to put both in, uh, he says, and I didn't have that in mind at all when I was writing this game. I'm not going to claim that. That's insane. But it is something that apparently he talks about with doing like his brand of horror. Um, so I'm glad that synced up. I mean, that's the <laughs> reason you rewatch the movies. If they were just horror movies and they, there was none of the comedy, they'd just be very boring horror movies. Like The yeah. comedy is what really sells the horror. And plus, it's supposed to be kind of like a cosmic horror story, and when you mix it with like weird fantasy or weird sci-fi, like the way Flash Gordon and like Alejandro Jodorowsky slash Mobius' sci-fi is, you get the horror and like the fear and stuff, but it's also so weird that it's absurd. Yeah. And like our game's got a fair amount of absurd stuff in it. Commercia Prime is a prime (laughs) example. I mean, that's like a Terry Gilliam thing. That's not even me being particularly clever, right? That's the best episode. We it's so good. <laughs> oh man, yeah, that was solid. We're trying to collect teddy bears. Oh, perfect. <laughs> that that episode actually has an oh. Evil Dead the Musical reference. When the colicoids go, this isn't as bad as it looks. That's a reference to Ash from Evil Dead the Musical. Mm. I've seeded them all throughout the game, little references to those movies. <laughs> Um, anyone else have anything else they want to bring up? I really can't think of anything. I know, right? Like, it's on the spot, but, like, um, character relationships, growth, um... I really like, uh, the, the tricameral man. Oh, right, the Republican. Yeah. Yeah, that's gonna be, that's gonna be a treat for anybody... Yeah, when you get to the Republican listeners, after this. he was a he was an experiment in trying to do like a Mass Effect style NPC. Not that he was a cop, in that he was like uh, he was like <laughs> someone you want to unlock their social links and like dig deeper into in like stages. And I think he worked out pretty good. I like him. He's weird. He's a big fucking weirdo. Yeah. Uh, so uh, definitely one of the more interesting boblins that I've run into. Yeah, <laughs> you got to have your guys. G U Y S guys under your supervision. <laughs> Our group is very pro guys. That that was one thing actually in this uh, fellowship game that we haven't done. Well, we've done it a little bit in some fellowship games, but this one mostly is. We started taking, um, what's the guys. mechanic called? No, it's not that we no bonds. We started taking bonds with other people's guys, 
Because we tend to play games where we're very like, this is my guy. Don't touch my guy. He's my guy. And I'm going to keep him. And if you touch him, how dare you? Um, you so in this game, we... <laughs> exactly. In this game, we, we actually managed to take bonds with multiple characters and are trying to interact with not just our guys. <laughs> yeah. So that, that shall be interesting coming up in season two i'm sure and yeah <laughs> yeah and uh yeah fun npcs for sure it's like i gotta mute mm-hmm. <laughs> can we all go silent because Devin's muted <laughs> all right well, no, sorry this is it but yeah, um, if there's nothing else, then that's kind of the premise for the game. It's, I don't know, I think it's pretty exciting. It's, it does tie into the future game, Spiders and Snakes, and that's another kind of ambitious thing we're doing. We recorded both the sequel and the prequel literally at the same time. Like on Friday, I record one, and Saturday, I record the other with the other group. So this is kind of like an experimental game where we're trying to see if that kind of stuff works for podcasting, just for fun. Uh, so it's kind of fun to see how it's going to all play out. Um, I think that's everything. If we don't have anything else to bring up, right? Yeah. All right. Well, in that case, let's wrap that up. Uh, so I was Devin. Steph. Steph. Is she not here? Okay, just keep going. Someone else. Well, I was Nicole. Peter. Ian. Holden. And this was sponsored by nobody. (laughs) Signing off. Bye. (laughs)